listening to the really useful podcast from makeuseof.com. This is the tech podcast for technophobes with me, Christian Corley. And this week I'm joined by Gavin Phillips. How are you doing, Gavin? Yeah, very well, Christian. Very well. Spring has sprung here in the UK, hasn't it? But it's uh, it's not brought forth lots of sunshine. <laughs> it's brought forth lots of ice. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> it's freezing this morning, and now we've got the promise of snow at the weekend. Oh, snow. So we, we don't get that down this far south, unfortunately, but I don't envy you. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, this is the Tech Podcast for Technophobes, in which we look at the most important tech news and how it affects you, the technophobe, who doesn't really care about the ins and outs of technology, only about when it affects them. We've also got some tips and tricks to help you make better use of your tech, and we will finish with some recommendations. We're going to kick off this week. This is uh, Bitcoin. We haven't talked about Bitcoin for a while in cryptocurrencies. You can now get free Bitcoin with Shake Shack. That's cool, isn't it? So you head down to your local Shake Shack. There's ones all across the US, and you pay your bill using a cash app debit card if you've got one of those and if you do that you will receive 15 percent of your bill back as bitcoin free bitcoin technically free bitcoin (laughs) technically free bitcoin it's the satoshi kind of sub currency not sub currency they 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 divide so you have dollars and cents you have bitcoins and satoshis don't you yeah, absolutely. So the, the smaller denomination of Bitcoins are called Satoshis or Sats for short. Um, so depending on how much your bill is, you know, you could earn a dollar or two. Or if you go with your whole family, maybe you'll earn $10 worth of Bitcoin or something. But if you're a, a Shake Shack fanatic, maybe you'll earn yourself a nice little nest egg. And a trip to casualty. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely but it's worth it for the cause <laughs> worth it uh okay i'm not sure about that uh, but uh, yeah it's an interesting way to uh, get free bitcoin generate some cryptocurrency that you can maybe use later on because of course there is the potential that that um 15 refund is going to be worth more than 15 percent in a few months time absolutely and if you go there more than a few times you know, at the very least, like you said, in a few months, maybe you've paid off your your bill at least. <laughs> you never know. You never know. So, uh, so that's happening. You go to Shake Shack, get some Bitcoin. Microsoft is ending product sales in Russia. They've stated that the movie's in compliance with the recent sanctions placed on Russia after it invaded the Ukraine. Uh, so Microsoft are joining other countries with pulling uh, support or... Sale, selling they're not really supporting the company if they're selling to it are they I don't, how, how does that work how do you support a country by taking its money for a, a product i don't know they're yeah. not selling in russia anymore anyway <laughs> that's the long and the short of it uh, brad smith says we are taking several new steps in response to the war in ukraine including suspending new sales in russia so presumably uh support deals will need to be ongoing if you're a business i mean i don't imagine there is any there are any businesses based in Russia listening to this really useful podcast on the off chance if you're based in Russia and you have an existing Microsoft contract it's unlikely that that's come to an end but check with Microsoft anyway uh, this is um, 
I mean, we don't want to go into the nitty-gritty of this whole scenario uh, because it's quite depressing and it's not really 100% relevant to our topics. But, it, that, I mean, this is a growing trend, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, as you said, Christian, we're not going to delve deep into the whole situation, but we've seen lots of tech companies withdraw uh, sales and support from their Russian customers, uh, and it's something that I can only see ongoing uh, until the situation comes to an end, I guess. And it may even continue beyond that, depending on the outcome of the uh, Ukrainian and, uh, and Russian war that is, is ongoing. Yeah. Now, if you are, I mean, <clears throat> social networks, social medias, they do tend to uh, pull on our heartstrings, raise our awareness of what's going on in the world at the best of times. And that's just at normal times, in normal scenarios. There's obviously this thing taking place in the Ukraine. If you wanted to uh, contribute to humanitarian efforts there, you can do so and get a free new... No, it's not free. And get a new Doom 2 level by John Romero himself. This is, I mean, obviously against the backdrop of what it's been designed for, which is to help boost humanitarian aid to the Red Cross and the UN's uh, Central Emergency Response Fund. Um, so the backdrop is obviously not so good, but what it is is actually quite, quite exciting because John Romero is uh, the legendary Doom developer um, and he has released a brand new level for Doom 2. Uh, and this is something that has not happened in, you know, since the game was released 18 yeah. years ago. So, I mean, there's quite a lot of people that are very excited about this. Uh, I'm one of them. I haven't managed to have a play of it yet, but I have watched some videos and it looks really good, like really, really good. Um, it's a, like a classic sort of John Romero level full of demons and monsters and, and everything that made Doom and Doom 2 so phenomenally exciting at the time. Um, and if you buy it, it's uh, it's five dollars and your money will be going to a good cause. Yeah. And if you're in the UK, it's four pound thirty. Ah, for sure. Yeah. Excellent. So I've got my copy. I, too, have not yet had the chance to play it, but uh, it is on the list. The long list of things That's... to do. <laughs> uh... So yeah, check that out by definite uh, for definite. And of course, everything that we discussed in this week's really useful podcast, you will find in the accompanying show notes. We will move on to the Steam Deck Two being already confirmed. Mm. Now, I was having a chat in last week's really useful podcast with. Uh, our other host, Ben Stegner, who told me that he isn't interested in receiving a Steam Deck and hasn't ordered one. Have you ordered one? I haven't had the chance to order one uh, proper, but I believe, uh, like yourself, Christian, I'm on the waiting list yeah. somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> who knows when the actual sale link may actually come through. I think the last time I looked, it was somewhere Q2 2022. So that's... Quite reasonable, really, given the demand for the device already. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same, but do you know what? I'm just going to go into my inbox now and just see, because that'd be awesome if it happened whilst recording. <laughs> Live on air. Live on air. Have I? <laughs> no, I haven't. No. Well, you know, it was worth a check. <laughs> Absolutely. They're already thinking about the Steam Deck too, because um, apparently Valve have been 
impressed by the number of people who ordered the uh, high spec version and they think they can do an even higher spec version, which stands uh, to reason. Of course they can. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think Valve, from what I understand, want to make the VR capabilities of the Steam Deck 2 more, more apparent. So the high-end version of the Steam Deck 1 has really good hardware, but in a few years' time when they get around to this... Uh, VR is going to be an even bigger thing than it is now. Uh, alongside that, you've got to expect the second iteration of the Valve Index, Valve's um, VR headset. So the first one was a wired headset. It was very, very highly rated. The second one, although there is no confirmation for this, there's a lot of speculation that it will be a wireless device. So you could be out in public with your Steam Deck 2, which has got you know great specs, and using it with your wireless Steam Deck, um, sorry, Valve Index 2 headset, uh, all out in public. I mean, that's not something I would personally be down for, but you can imagine going to someone's house or something and you can all plug in and play a VR game together, that sort of thing. Yeah, sounds fun, I think. I'm, I'm still wait to be convinced by VR, but uh, we will see. And uh, just staying on that topic, if you are a gamer and you're interested in the, uh, well, not just the Steam Deck, but if you just use Steam whatever uh, on a PC, uh, Valve is interested in having Xbox Game Pass on Steam. I personally don't think Microsoft would be up for it. Uh, Steam have been quite rude about uh, Valve have been and Gabe Newell have been quite rude about Microsoft in the past, and I can't really see. Uh, I'd, I'd be very surprised if Microsoft went for this, to be honest. How would it work though? So the Xbox Game Pass would be nested within Steam's ecosystem. I believe so. Yeah. So that's quite interesting that Valve would want to bring that onto steam really isn't it because xbox game pass is like massive in its own right now i think they've been i the way i'm looking at it and this may be because i've been colored by something else i've read i know that you can run the epic game launcher within steam on the steam deck ah okay that would if, make sense because yeah. then you could bring your games across yeah so i wonder but if like, they're interested in microsoft providing the uh, sort of I don't know, it's sort of a live zone yeah. as an app that you can then I guess it also, it, it's like anything to get people staying roughly within Steam, there's more chance that they'll go and buy another game on Steam yeah. rather than diverting to Game Pass. Or when yeah. their Game Pass, because on Xbox Game Pass, obviously you get uh, a limited time to play a game, it may just disappear. So maybe you'll then go and buy that game buy yeah. on Steam instead yeah. of Xbox. I guess it's like hedging the bets, basically. Yeah. But again, I mean, you put it like that, again, I don't see Microsoft going for it at all. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so that's that. Where, where this will go, uh, I don't think it's going to go anywhere, but it's interesting how Steam, uh, how Valve are thinking at the moment in terms of uh, Steam and uh, with the Steam Deck. Uh, as stated in a previous really useful podcast, Valve have released loads of Steam hardware over the years and none of it has taken off. Steam Deck's got really good reviews, but again, the Steam controller got really good reviews. So how, how this will turn out long term, we don't know yet. And, you know, Gavin and myself, neither of us have actually got a Steam Deck, so we can't give you our honest opinions of it. But if you are interested, there are reviews out there and they are all very 
We're going to move on now to our tips and tricks in this week's really useful podcast. I have never, Gavin, used a tablet that has cellular capability. I think one of my children has one, completely by chance, uh, a Samsung that has a SIM card in it. But I've I've never used one. Have you? Have you done this? I, I just rely on Wi-Fi. I must admit, I've never done it either. Uh, my, one of my sisters was given one for work. She works for a, a university in the, the UK. And they gave her one so that she could remain connected wherever she is. She goes around and does various uh, recruitment shows and that sort of thing. So she needs to remain connected wherever she is, like 100% of the time. Sure. So in that sense, it makes sense. You know, you're going to be out and about. You need 4G or 5G connectivity wherever you are. And so popping a SIM card into your tablet uh, in this case, an iPad, or you can get them with Android tablets as well, of course. And you can be connected wherever you are. It seems good. And I, I can't really see a downside to it, apart from, obviously, the, the monthly cost. Yeah, I mean, how much extra does it cost? You have to pay more for the initial outlay for the model, presumably. Well, yeah, I, th- I think what it is, is you're basically you're using your tablet, essentially using your tablet like a phone, aren't you? So you're going to buy a tablet on a monthly deal and get the data bundled in. Now, I'm someone who tends to avoid monthly deals and tries to buy items outright, so I'm not then beholden to any sort of ongoing repayment schemes that I don't particularly like. Uh, that was the case with uh, one of my twins' uh, tablets, unfortunately. But, yeah, I, I guess... You, you yeah i mean that's how it works and i su- it does give you that flexibility of being able to work anywhere with it we have an article i'll make use of uh which uh, looks at the six reasons why your next ipad should be cellular i'm just going to quickly go through firstly there are many options available so you can get 5g or you can get 4g systems um this is about ipads but it kind of applies to android tablets as well and even windows tablets uh Using the hotspot isn't always your best option. Now, that's what I do. I use my mobile phone as a hotspot, uh, the, the tethering feature, and then my data, when I'm using a tablet alongside it, when I'm out and about, that sort of deals with it. I don't really think it slows it all that much, but no. on the other hand, if you had a 4G phone and you had the opportunity to have a 5G iPad, then there's obviously a speed advantage there. Uh, only cellular iPads have GPS, and if you need GPS for driving or getting around with them, that's really useful. Cellular iPads are, it says here, great for work. And I guess that goes back to what Gavin was saying about having that flexibility of being able to connect anywhere. Uh, mobile data is way more secure than Wi-Fi. Yeah, pretty much so. And you can take cloud gaming everywhere or anywhere. Um, I mean, not if, for work, if it's for work, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I guess you could do that. But then again, you're going to hit get hit by limits in many cases and i think wi-fi is probably the better option there but it's, i mean this has helped me look at cellular ipads in a, and tablets in a different way i guess yeah absolutely uh i guess if like i said before if you're moving around quite a lot and you do need to remain connected it, it, it could be a bit of a game changer couldn't it if you're in a patchy area as well or somewhere where you're going to get 5g over 4g then you know why not go for it
Now, Gavin, you know a little bit about uh, passwords, and as we all do, because we're coached by websites into entering passwords in a particular way. But uh, quite often, there's more to uh, setting up an account than just setting up a password. There are security questions that you need to apply to it so that if you do lose your password, you can go back, enter the security question, answer, and, you know, you get a new password. But this isn't really a, uh, a perfect system, is it, Gavin? No, uh, it's actually not, Christian. Uh, it's actually a system that people are trying to get rid of, really, because using the standard set of security questions, if you answer them honestly, shall we say, you're probably setting yourself up to be more vulnerable in the long run. Yeah. So we've all had that feeling of, oh, I've forgotten my password, but it's no problem because you've entered your mother's maiden name. You've entered the name of your first pet, the name of your first school, your favorite sports team, all that sort of stuff that in this day and age is typically very easily accessible either on your social media, maybe uh, you've got a work profile, uh, a LinkedIn profile or, or anything of that nature where it's highly likely at some point you've probably said the answer to one of these questions and someone who was wanted to breach your account could then take that information and act as you. So as a form of authentication, which they say when you use your password, it's actually it's actually a bit dangerous. Now, this is something I've kind of considered in the past. I thought to myself, well, if I answer these in the wrong way, I'm going to forget. So what can we do to improve our chances of answering them in the correct wrong way? That's a really good question <laughs> because I've done that before where I was like, right, I'm going to enter the questions sort of in reverse. What's my mother's maiden name? Uh, it's Manchester United or something like that. Ah. Uh, you know, switch them all around. And right. I think, you know, when I see this website authentication page, I'm definitely going to remember all of these answers, which of course, when it happens, you do not. You know, they're gone. They're gone the moment you click away the page and uh, you are then sort of double locked out of your account. <laughs> so the best way I would say is actually using uh, a password manager. Actually, most of the password managers these days come with integrated security question features. Yeah. So the same way as you would use it to back up an important password, you could use it to back up your security answers. And then if you randomized your answers, you could go into your password manager and find out which one you used with it. Um, the other way I think is to try and use like different questions. So they said some websites are now offering more unique questions that only you would know the answer to like rather than what's uh, what was your first car make? It would be from what car dealership did you buy your first car? If you see what I mean. Uh -huh. So obviously you can't enforce those, but there are some websites now that will allow you to set your own security questions as well, which is really handy. Yeah, that's useful. Absolutely. So um, basically uh, the takeaway here is that if you're answering security questions, honestly, 
someone who knows a tiny bit about you, maybe f from Facebook or just from social interaction, whatever, they may be able to guess those security questions. So try and answer the security questions in a dishonest manner and then remember that you've answered them in a dishonest manner. And also use a password manager so you don't need to rely on your security questions at any point. That's about it, isn't it? I think that's the crux of it, really. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like we said, it is really hard to try and remember how many passwords you've got. Uh, and a password manager these days really does go a long way. You know, the average person has sort of 20 or more online accounts these days. No one can keep that amount of passwords in their heads. And that's only the accounts you use regularly, let alone you know if you go to buy something online from a shop you not use and they say please make an account you know oh, that's another a password i'm going to have to remember but that's where the password manager comes into play we move on now to our recommendations and i'm a little bit behind this i'm going to let gavin go first this week we're not gonna rock paper and scissors <laughs> no <laughs> no i will i will dive straight in christian uh so this week um i will recommend the paprika recipe manager i don't know uh, how much you like to cook christian but uh, i like to cook quite a lot and I'm I, I find cooking is one of those uh things that lets me properly chill out so i do try and get in the kitchen as much as much as possible really yeah, it's good. I at the end of the of a day, I love going downstairs and getting in the kitchen and cooking, cooking a nice meal. Uh, and if you spend any time online, you probably come across an unfathomable amount of recipes, and keeping track of them is difficult. So the Paprika Recipe Manager allows you to keep track of all your recipes in a handy app, uh, and then you can structure them by you know, the type of meal it is, say, if it was Italian or Thai or, you know, or so on, or if it was a sweet meal or vegetarian and so on. And then you can sort of cross-reference them with each other. Uh, so if it uses a, spe a specific ingredient or you can do your top rated meals or the ones that you go to all the time. So I really like that. And then you can also export the ingredients within the recipe to a handy grocery list and then stick that on your phone head down to the shop so uh it's quite handy i've not been using it for long but the time i have spent with it i've i've really enjoyed that sounds really cool i'm i'm gonna have to check that the gavin will provide us with the link to go in the show notes for that if you want to check out as well i'm definitely going to try that one out now uh i'm a little bit vague about recommendations this week because i've done a lot in the past week and from uh, decorating my office to moving things around to playing with some lights and i think i'm just going to go through a few of the things that i've done which is why i don't have an actual recommendation okay i've been in my parents loft and got some stuff out of the loft i found a load of old retro gaming gear which i'm not going to try and pass off as a recommendation I've uh, moved some Lego around and realized that I have a Lego Sonic the Hedgehog kit, which I still haven't built, which I've had for a few weeks now. I'm not going to try and pass that one off either, but <laughs> I, 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 I'm tempted, but I'm not going to. And if I'd have had five minutes to play that John Romero Doom level, um, I would have been using that. But what <laughs> yeah. I am going to go with, actually, is I've got this item that I am in the process of reviewing at the moment. A uh, little bit of a noise coming up. Hold on. 
this is the Cololite Pro Hexagon Kit. And these are a collection of LEDs. You get six LEDs, each with, I think, uh, well, I'll rephrase that. You get six hexagons, each with, I think, I think 17 or 19 LED beads in each one. And they create beautiful shimmering colors. They're really, really good. I haven't, um, I don't have any kind of LED strips or anything like that prior to having these. So I, it's like I've come into the whole LED game with one of the most visually striking products that's, that's available. It's, they've been around for a while now and uh, I've been sent these to review for my QSOS, so there will be a review coming along soon. They are app controlled, there's a button on the back, they respond to audio, they are made from ABS and ABS PC, so you get this very nice sort of uh, opaque cover, so you don't see the individual LEDs lighting up inside as well. They're, they're wall mountable, and they also come with their own stand. And the only shortcoming I've found really is that the power cable is only one meter long, which is a little bit inconvenient in most scenarios. But I'm super impressed with these. So I'm going to use these as my recommendation. <laughs> Those things, are they... Um... Are they similar in style to these sort of uh, cost company uh, nano leaves that the, the hexagonal wall mounted uh, lighting system? I think they they sound similar in style to that. Yeah, they probably are. Yeah. Yeah, very nice. The one meter cable though that does sound restrictive. Yes, especially for the um, segment I'm planning on recording today, which is mounting them on the wall. Uh-huh. You better move the wall. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, perfect time to end this week's really useful podcast. Everything that we've talked about can be found in the show notes, and we will be back next week for a new show. Until then, it's goodbye.